You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. Hello. And a special guest today. We teased it on the last pod. We're back with Chris Trevino. Da-da-da-da. Chris, we're very happy to have you on the show today. Hey, guys. I, I can't believe we brought him in here. No, Chris <laughs> promised that he will be lively. He'll have some gusto, even though his doctor says he's allergic to gusto. I am allergic to gusto. I took my gusto pills today, so I should be good. Good. We're proud of you, Chris. To handle all the intake of gusto. Well is, that, done. is that a particle that flows through the air? It's a secret. Dusto and gusto? <laughs> Chris, but we're excited to have you on the show, like I said. And part of the reason why we have you on the show is because you are going to have a world exclusive for the Family Shoot podcast. Wow, world. Yeah, world exclusive. You're going to debut your 10 bold predictions for the season. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm only going to give you a little bit of a taste, though. Because mm, okay. I still Ooh. want people to read the full 10. So I'm going to give you five. I'll give you five of my spiciest predictions. This is like when, the, when they give the radio stations a clip of the song. You Ooh. get one verse. Yes. I'm raising my hand so you will. I feel like me. the teacher. If for <laughs> Behind the scenes, I'm sitting facing both of them. And I feel like the teacher with the unruly children. Just so people know, you are the bold predictions man. You do this for the season and right. you do it per game as I well. I do 10. I've done it the last two years. I'll talk a little bit about these more before I okay. drop the five, but I have okay. done 10 bold predictions the last two years, and I do five predictions every Friday night or Saturday morning before every game. Nice. Those aren't like necessarily like bold predictions. They're just things I think will happen. And are you good? You good? I'm not You bad. good, Campo? <laughs> so, okay. Interesting. We'll get <laughs> more into that later on. But what were you about to say? Yeah, I had a couple questions. Yes. Um, one, am I getting paid for this? <laughs> Two, do you validate parking? <laughs> yes, we do. We do, do here at the Family Feud Podcast. No, Ooh. but we're excited. You're actually our first guest on this podcast. Fun fact. Uh, so we're happy to have really? you. Really? Yeah. We'll determine whether we have any more depending on how you My go. agent told me this was like a high profile It is. Thing. We, we didn't say it wasn't. Oh. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. You can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who sent us that, as well as tweets. We got some tweets uh, for us and for Chris. But Chris, we're adopting you into the Family Feud family, if you will. It. I love it. You're going to be on this whole episode uh, introducing you to how we do things, stock up, stock down. We've kind of introduced you to it. Not sure if you get the full concept. We'll see as we go forward. But guys, it is game week. USC takes on Fresno State on Saturday. Excited to finally have a game to talk about. First up, let's go with stock up. Shotgun, I'm going to hand it over to you since you're a vet about this. Stock up, who you got? Uh, let's just start with game time. You know, We're going to preview it later, but... There's gonna finally gonna be a game on Saturday. This is it's always a stock up the on the Thursday before the first game. You know, I I'm just ready for there to be some action on the field, be able to talk about what actually is happening rather than just everyone speculating and saying, Well, if this happens, then what if this happens, then what? No, let's see what happens on the field. Let's see what this offense looks like when they get out there and they play a team in a different color jersey. Now, let's see how the the USC Trojans look in an air raid offense. Let's see what that inexperience in the secondary looks like. Let's see if the offensive line can block anybody. Let's actually see what happens on the field now instead of just guessing and hoping and wishing for the USC fans. Let's see what actually happens. And when the the lights come on and we're we're in the Coliseum, in the new Coliseum, New air quotes. I don't, I don't know which the remodeled Coliseum. 
and uh, we'll see how USC plays on Saturday. You're a little angsty today. I like it. You're ready to podcast. But I agree. I didn't have that on my stock up, but it's definitely a, a nice thing to be able to have tangible evidence that everyone has seen uh, and, and just talk about things that other than the offseason, which will be nice. Uh, my stock up is Greg Johnson. Okay. I had Greg Johnson as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think uh, there's a good chance that on tomorrow's depth chart reveal that we see him as our starting nickel corner. Um, you know, that's a spot he's very he's embraced the last two weeks or so it looks like that move has almost re-energized him to a certain extent you see him getting loud making plays he likes playing at the line of scrimmage he's versatile enough to play that position in high school they moved him all around the secondary so I think that's been a good fit for him uh the last couple weeks and Clancy talked a little bit about Greg Johnson yesterday about him in that nickelback spot and he said that with him being in the nickel spot, he's close to the line of scrimmage, like you said. He doesn't have to take care of as much space. So he can attack a little bit more. He's not kind of left on the island out there like they do with their cornerbacks a lot. And I think that they see he, he profiles a little bit more there. And he's a thick guy. He can hit guys. You know, he, he you know at Hawkins High School, he would run over people as a running back and then come up and drill somebody as a safety. So, you know, I, I think it's a good fit for him there. I think that, you know, the question mark now becomes with Chase Williams. You know, Chase Williams, I thought he was going to be the starter there. You know, the way that they talked about him coming out of that Notre Dame game and, you know, through the offseason, just looked like he was one of the guys you kind of expected to be there and all the other positions might be open. But it looks like Greg Johnson is going to get that starting spot if that's the case. What happens with Chase Williams? Does he get demoted to second string or does he move back to safety? Because we saw him, you know, dual training there. I think you got to have Isaiah Paul Mao and Talanoa Hufanga at the safety spots, but yeah. you know maybe they decide to do something else. Is there a rotation there? There's going to be a lot of different things that could happen, but that creates some kind of question marks going into this game. And again, at least Saturday we'll finally get to see what actually is happening rather than just kind of guessing at all these things. Yeah, and to your point, would it be smart just to have a rotation at those safety positions just because we haven't seen Talanoa really go full speed for a whole game and as well as Isaiah Paul Mao? For one game. He got one game. True. But <laughs> yeah. But do you rotate them more just to make sure that their load that they carry through the whole season is, is maybe not as hard as if you don't have Chase and they're rotating? Or do you trust Chase enough to put him there at that maybe third safety spot? I mean, they trusted him in the Notre Dame game, and he played really, really well in that. But they, that they didn't really trust him. They, he was forced into that. Sure, but I think he they proved that. They didn't trust you... Jordan McMillan. He just got put in there because they had nobody else. And, I mean, I thought Chase Williams played really well in that game, but I don't think it's they went, you know what, let's let's sit Marvell Tell and play Chase Williams instead. It wasn't that kind of trust. It was, yeah. oh, we ain't got nobody else. Let's try Chase Williams here. Hey, this looks like it's a good spot for him. You know, he started at safety, but then, if I remember correctly, he moved into the nickel spot later in the game because uh, Jonathan Lockett, I think, got hurt in that game as well. So that's when Jordan McMillan came in at safety. So Chase started at safety, moved to the nickel spot in that game, showing the versatility he has. And the fact that he made some plays in that game, you know, that's why I thought he had, he had a good offseason, a good spring. So I thought he would be a starter, which is kind of surprising that, you know, the, the they've kind of made this move with Greg Johnson, it looks like. Um, so, and where does Chase Williams kind of fit in? That's a big question mark. Well, that's still what I'm me. asking, which I still have, in I, a roundabout way did not answer. Big question still for me. I would let them rotate a little at, at the nickel. I mean, specifically the nickel, not necessarily the yeah, safety yeah, spots, yeah. but I think getting those two guys, if you think those are your top nickels, let them rotate and get playing time and get experience there. See, I think you can rotate more at that nickel spot than you necessarily want to at the safety spot because you want those safeties to be able to communicate. You want those safeties to be able to, you know, to figure everything out for themselves. It worked out when USC was doing a rotation with Leon McQuay, Marvell Tell, and Chris Hawkins. 
but that rotation included those guys playing some nickel too. You know, you had Leon McQuay come down the box some. You had some different things there. So I don't, I don't think you want to rotate as much with the safety spots as you do the nickel spot. I think the nickel, because of its versatility, I think you don't have to rely as much on communication with a certain position like you do with the two safety spots. So I think that, like Chris said, I think it's better to ro- rotate there. Uh, I think that they could rotate more there. I think you can rotate on the outside cornerback spots as well just because you have those different bodies and different things and give guys opportunities. But Clancy kind of made it sound like he didn't want to necessarily do that yesterday. You know, talking to him, he said that, you know, he would rather rotate more in the front seven than those back guys in the secondary because he does. He said something about he doesn't want someone to come in cold off the bench and have to guard someone's best slot receiver. So that was interesting because you would expect the nickel would be the guy to go in there, but the nickel is the spot I would rotate more at. So it's again, I think it's going to be something we'll be watching. Is that rotation there and seeing who get who plays and how much they play? You know, we'll have all that uh, when I break down the the film and everything. But yeah, you know, I think that's something interesting to watch this weekend, and we'll see where USC is going from there. I guess to that point, how much from this game can we as reporters, but also fans, take away from what we've seen from both sides of the ball from USC? I mean, anytime you see that first game, you know there's going to be guys getting thrown in there to see where they're at. You know, that happens. You know, you still want to see. Even if a guy like Chris Steele is making plays in practice, you still got to see him in an actual game. Because some people are practice players, some people are game players. Some people react different when there's, you know, 60,000, 80,000 people watching versus now there's seven parents there. You know, it's a, it's a different atmosphere. You know, how do you react then when the lights come on? So I think they still have to see that to an extent. Any season, I think you still have to see it, which is why I think to a lesser to a different extent on the offensive line you see more rotation usually early in the season the first couple games you'll try some guys out and then once you you know you get into this the hard part of the the conference schedule like we, we can't be rotating offensive linemen unless we have an injury you know that t- but you try some guys out early in the season get a little bit of playing time give them a drive or two a game and which that's what I've advocated for on that defensive side with you know guys like Levi Jones in the past or Pelly and Idiote give them a drive or two let them get eight you know five to ten eight plays in there and you know because they're only going to get better and better from having that experience. Yeah, the big thing these coaches want is these guys on film, and you want them on film against a different opponent. You're tired of watching them seeing against your teammates. You want to see them against a live person in a live environment. So definitely what we see in game one is going to evolve a lot more by yeah. like game three. Yeah, without a doubt. Moving on to my stock up, I had last week he was on stock neutral. It's not a thing. So actually he didn't exist last week. <laughs> he, I have him now on stock up. Keen Slovis. Number two. Would you guys stop taking all mine? Did y'all just do you copy mine? I've obviously had mine done way before you guys. Mm, that's I knew that so I, false. <laughs> sounds right. That sounds right. No, no. I knew we were gonna do this show. Oh, hold so. on. Can I at least explain why I have him on my stock up? So I don't know why you are still in all my answers. If you go back on that pod, the last pod that we did, I had mentioned we had heard that Keaton was number two on the depth chart, but I thought that he wasn't doing well in the scrimmage like situations. Shows what I know. I did know that he was on on feeling number two on the depth chart, which was what we saw when Clay Helton released the depth chart for the quarterbacks. JT Daniels, number one. Keaton Slovis, number two. Matt Fink, number three. And Jack Sears, number four. Were you guys surprised by that order at all? I mean, I thought Keaton played well enough to, say, be the third. I didn't think they would actually make him the number two. But I don't think it's a secret if you listen to Harold talk about Keaton, how much he really likes Keaton. 
I mean, almost love of, of my life status. <laughs> oh, it's borderline almost love of my life territory. Which is it? It's crazy. Part of me thinks that if you put JT Daniels and Keaton Slovis at the same starting point, like put Keaton two years ago or a year ago, would Keaton beat out JT? I think Graham Harrell likes Keaton that much. And Keaton has something going for him that he's kind of grown up in an air raid type of offense. So I think that when you bring in a new offense and you're asking all these other quarterbacks to learn a new one. Now, JT's was similar in high school, I would say, but it's more of a spread than you know, kind of a true air raid. You're asking these other guys to learn a new offense. You're asking Keaton just to continue doing what you've done in the past. So I think that really was beneficial to him in this competition and helped him because he knows I got to get the ball out quick. You know, these are the kind of reads I'm looking for. Whereas the other guys is like, it, it's, it's the same thing that you talk about with any freshman when they come in and, you know, they're, they're freshmen to sophomore years. Well, the game slows down. You know, they're used to the defense now. They're used to, the, you know, what, what their assignment is. Now they can just play instead of, uh, you know, reading something and then trying to make a play. They just react. I think that's the difference with Keaton right now is that he knows this offense. He's been in it before. So it wasn't like he was coming in and it was a brand new thing for him like most freshmen. It was more new for the older guys than it was for him, I think. And I think that was really beneficial for him. And I think it comes down to partly the reason why he's at number two because I don't think he necessarily beat out Matt Fink and Jack Sears as far as just straight play. But he's a freshman. Those guys are older. If you're playing the video game, you always play the younger guy because you know that he's going to get better and improve. the improvement is going to be there each year, in a video game at least. Uh, so you don't play the older guy. You let him go. You cut him or whatever, and you, you, you move up the younger guy. If they're equal, you know, if they're both rated a 78 or an 80 or whatever, and you expect the young guy by the end of it to be an 88, whereas the old guy is going to be 82. So I, that, I think that was played into this factor, factored into him being the number two guy. You say he's got – three to four more years, you know, that he can potentially work in this offense to get better and better. That's why you move him up. If you looked at it, because I didn't think that he was necessarily the the second best guy in that competition. I don't think there was a ton of separation there, but I, I thought that the, the older guys were probably a little bit better than him. Yeah, I would agree. Chris, I hear you have another stock up. What do you got? I'm getting the hang of this, Keely. You say you don't understand this, Chris. <laughs> don't lie. Uh, stock up. USC's second team defensive line. Mm, explain yourself. Explain myself. Um, explain yourself. <laughs> I was talking to Coach Chad K uh, yesterday. Not, not going to try. Thank you. He said he felt really confident in the one, the first D-line, second D-line. So that makes me think we're going to see a lot more rotation. And I kind of like some of the guys on that second team D-line. Obviously, Drake used to be on the second team D-line. We expect him to be on the first team D line, but I like Connor Murphy out there playing a true strong side defensive end spot. I like the return of Caleb Tremblay, who's been my boy since he came last season, but he's been hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, got the best get off in the game. Um, I love the, the hustle he has on every rep. That's how you can tell a Tremblay rep. You're, never, you're never guessing. Always fastest back to the line. But uh, Brandon Peely in the middle, if he can stay healthy. And then Nick Figueroa, who's really emerged moving inside from an outside spot that he played in the spring. I like what they got there on that second team D line. You look at that group, and Clancy even talked about he wants to rotate more in that front seven. You know that they're going to rotate Brandon Peely in because defense tackles, you get get tired more. My question is, how much do you take Christian Rector or Drake Jackson off the field? Because that, that's hard to do. And how much are you going to use those outside linebackers? Are you going to use Abdul Malik McLean if he's healthy? Using Hunter Eccles? You know, Juliano Falanico has had some good reps in the fall as well coming off the edge. How much do you take Drake Jackson off? 
the field or Christian Rector off the field to get one of those guys in there. That's going to be the interesting thing to watch. And, you know, the hard part as a coach, you know, how much you take off a guy that can make a play like Drake Jackson did in the, the spring showcase to get someone with fresh legs in there. I mean, and that's what Chad K did allude to that. He was like, you know, there's going to be some people that it's going to be hard to take off the field. Wink, wink. So I assume he was talking about his two big ends there because he loves Christian Rector and that combo with Drake Jackson. They so. haven't been shy about that, which I think is good. <laughs> you know, it's not an EA where it's like, we know he should be on the field, but he's not, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I like them because I think some of their guys performed well in the scrimmage we saw last. Like Caleb Tremblay has made some nice plays. Connor Murphy's made some nice TFLs when he's gotten into those scrimmage situations. Um, you know, we haven't seen that much out of Brandon Peely because he's been banged up a little bit. But, you know, I just kind of like those guys. And there's older guys, too, with uh, Tremblay and Figueroa, two Juco guys mm -hmm. that made a lot of plays when they were at the, at the Juco level. So I think they're ready to have a role at this at this level i mean Trimley is a guy that was making some plays in the fall last year before the injury and it, like you said the get off he's so quick off the ball when the ball is snapped he's just so quick to to explode off of it it's something it's a rare trait you don't see it that much and so that is a unique thing that opposing offensive line i think he'll he'll make some plays and then opposing offensive line linemen will have to start preparing for him in particular coming off the bench and that's that's something you want you want them to have to prepare for extra guys and to be able to, to catch the guys off by surprise initially so can he make some plays once he gets that quick uh, jump as well that'll be interesting to see and when you have older guys like that it's a very deep group which just pushes the pressure up to make plays Okay, Jay Tufele, you're, you're preseason, you know, all Pac-12. Well, you better make some plays or someone's taking your spot. That's the good thing there. That's the competition. That's the old Pete Carroll way of, you know, the practices are supposed to be tougher than the games themselves. And if you have that constant competition, it pushes everyone up to a higher level, I think. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, so I have one final stock up before we move on. I had team camaraderie. There seems to be a good grouping of guys where I felt like maybe last season there was – you had the veteran guys who'd been there for a while and then the young guys. There was no really meshing of them. And so a couple examples. Uh, we talked to the O-line. I talked to Elijah Veritucker this week, and he was talking about it just seems like there's a new chemistry on the line. The guys are closer together. They've been doing things outside of practice. Brett Nealon was talking about they're cooking and, and barbecuing together. And so he was just saying there's just a new chemistry. And I think if you remove guys like maybe a Chuma Adoga or a Toa Lobendon who've been there and for a while, I just think it's it's just a different unit. But I think on defense, when you remove guys like Porter Gustin, Cam Smith, Iman Marshall, guys who've been there for a while where you can't really break in and, and be the new guy who's like, hey, guys, let's join together and be united. Maybe the older guys are going to be like, I'm going to do my own thing. You know, not saying that that happened, but you got some of the individualness throughout the season when things went the wrong way. Um, so we talked to Christian Rector about it. He felt bad that he wasn't more of a leader last year. And so without saying it, it sounds like it was hard to break in and be that guy when there's other guys ahead of you. So I just think in that sense, it's a better opportunity for more team chemistry this season. Whether or not that translates to anything, that's TBD. Now you got guys like Elijah Griffin in there that are, that are dancing all the time. And I think that it's just everyone seems to be enjoying the team aspect better. Uh, yeah. So I think I would agree with what you're saying. I think it, it seems like everyone feels good now. Once you get punched in the mouth, you might go back to being, uh, you know, turn into Eeyore again. Oh, it's all going to be terrible. That might be the case. 
maybe we'll ha- we won't know until it actually happens. But it seems that the team is more of a, a, of a unit, and if that's the case, then usually if you have someone to lean on, you can get through those tough things. You know, when something doesn't go your way, you got somebody to pick you up. You know, you saw that last year where guys were trying to pick each other up. But how much do you believe in your teammate? That becomes a question mark, and those are things you can't really measure. Uh, on the field, those are just things that are mental. They did, They showed that they did not have that, that mental toughness last year. If they are more of a team this year, I think that that will come out. That's a good point. You know, I, I agree that getting punched in the mouth is really going to reveal a lot about this team chemistry. But I think to your point, I think youth is also another big reason we've seen a lot of this chemistry grow, especially with the secondary. Uh, Chase Williams said in the summer that you know, you look around in the secondary room and they're all like the same age. Yeah. They're only like either they're all freshmen or they're only like one grade above. So you look around and like we're our own veterans. So we're all super close just because we're so close to age. And even Valus Jones pointed out about the secondary, like I always see those guys together. They're always in the, the hot tub getting treatment, talking, breaking down plays and stuff like that. They're always together. They're always picking each other's brains. So that's a, another good thing with, with the youth movement for that secondary and, and with the secondary in particular we've seen those guys when they come off the field now granted we're close to the defense when we were allowed to watch practice the first couple weeks and just listening to their communication you know I thought it was really interesting just just hearing those guys go over things now part of it is they're still learning because they are so young you have two third year guys in Isaiah Polamau and CJ Pollard and that's pretty much it you know, Dominic Davis has now moved the offense aside, so even your most veteran cornerback is, is gone. Veteran as in your oldest cornerback. Let's not say veteran. Air just because he never never played the, the spot. But you're all in the same age group, like you said, and you're all learning from each other. It's a constant communication to learn, and I think it's really interesting just hearing every time Chase Williams would come off the field or Isaiah Polamau. I think Isaiah Polamau is, is a very underrated player on this team. I think he's going to have a huge role because he is technically the oldest guy. So, you know, it, it, or him and C.J. Pollard back there. So I think that he's taking on more of a leadership role in that secondary, being the older guy, and just hearing him talk to Talano Hufunga and the other guys, it's been really interesting to listen to. And I think he, he's, I think he's going to have a big year. And I've said it before on this podcast, I've been really impressed just by the leadership we've seen from both IPM and Talano Hufunga. Those guys just have had a leadership, a veteran-like status, even though they're not, but they, they've carried themselves in a good way. And as well as we've seen Greg Johnson, when you ask some of the guys who's the loudest on the team, they all, they all say Greg Johnson. And so it's an interesting little grouping there uh, that have kind of stepped up in that way. And to your earlier point, I think this is also a credit to Aaron Osmus. I think he kind of bridged the gap between maybe some separations between position groups and whatnot over the summer. And I think we've heard the players talk about as well as how they've grown in that sense. Yeah, and he broke up the the team into four groups. You know, they were competing constantly. So if you're competing against someone else, the people in your group you become closer with. And because they were not position-specific groups, I think that helped, you know, where an offensive lineman is – talking more with a defensive back or you know whatever it may be there that the areas groups that aren't necessarily going against each other in practice or you know spending time outside of you know maybe they're hanging out a little bit more because of that so I think that's an interesting uh, point that you make there just because of what Aaron Osmus has done in the offseason maybe that's helping the team even more there but also breaking them up into groups somehow also brought the whole team closer together competition yeah makes sense all right let's move on to stock down shotgun who do you got on stock down i'm gonna go with the veil of secrecy that usc has you know can't watch practices you know suddenly we're not gonna release the depth chart until the day before the game 
Everyone in the country is releasing their depth charts on the Sunday before because it goes in the media in the media notes. Why is USC suddenly different? Well, we want to push competition. I don't yeah, I don't think that's the case. No, they don't want to tell anybody who they're starting. And then even when they do, they put out pregame graphics and it's still not the people that end up starting. So it's just like there's this suddenly there's this veil of secrecy because USC went five and seven and we don't want anyone to know what we're doing. We don't want anybody to know. It's the exact opposite of Pete Carroll. So are they going to get the exact opposite results from Pete Carroll? That'll be the question. But it, it just seemed like USC's gone to this veil of secrecy. And you know my feelings about the closed media, mm-hmm. uh, in, especially after listening to Taylor Mays on the Tunnel Vision when I wasn't here, just listening to what he had to say about how that could be something that motivates you every day when you had fans, you had media there, like you know that you're performing in front of someone. That helped him get through some of those tough camp days. You're taking that away, and it just seems like it's unnecessary. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what they've gained from the veil of secrecy. I would like to know that from Clay Helton. I won't get a chance to ask him today because I'll be at a high school game. But you know, that'd be a great question for him: is you know why? Uh, you know, what are you gaining from not letting the media in? What what does the team gain from it? I'm I'm curious. Now, maybe there is a great reason. You know, we we've been able to focus on this or this. I don't know. It just seems like the veil of secrecy is is is. It's a downgrade for sure. I had obvious, but Jack Sears on stock down. Uh, we didn't mention it yet, but he uh, announced on Tuesday his intentions to enter the transfer portal. He's going to focus on studies and taking visits and talking to coaches instead of uh, kind of having both feet in, in both worlds, if you will. He had the option to practice with USC while being in the transfer portal, but chose not to. Uh, so stock down for Sears. As far as his USC career, I do think he's talented and will find could be successful wherever he goes next, but stock down for him. I'm available if needed, is what he said in this. Yes. I, I don't think it's a good move that, to enter the transfer portal now. I, I talked about this on Tunnel Vision, uh, so I'll kind of keep it a little bit brief here. But I think if you're going to be at school anyways and you're going to graduate in the December, then I think that you should stick with the team in case something happens. I don't, I don't think you gain much by not being with the team. I don't think you suddenly you're getting more – quarterback coaching on the side or unless you just have in order to be able to finish this semester you got to take 24 hours or you know you just got to take a ridiculous you know JT Daniels trying to finish up so he can early you know to so he can skip his senior year type of thing that's the only time I would say well you probably should focus on that but otherwise I think you should be around the team and you should continue to work and practice you're gonna get a much better look from the USC defense from than from any quarterback coaching uh, clinic you're going to and you know whatever dbs they're bringing in there i'm just curious how much maybe burnout plays a factor into his decision not to come back interesting just because he the only real like playing he saw was that arizona state game and if you're taking backup reps fourth string reps it just kind of burns your love for the game and you're doing all this like conditioning etc cetera, etc cetera. For what purpose while doing handling schoolwork and whatnot? I think it might be a smart choice for him if he's not feeling into it. You know, why put yourself through that? I just had an offshoot question, like a media question. What did you think about his decision not to talk to media? It's understandable. I what what could he really say? He's already talked to us once when he didn't win the job. What can you really say at this point? And he said it in a statement. I wasn't. I mean, I understood him not speaking. I thought more of Matt Fink for speaking, but I'm not holding against Jack Sears because he didn't speak. Um, and the questions that he was going to answer were about transferring and you know where he kind of see, sees himself. Did he get an, on a shake, if he felt? So if you don't want to answer those questions, I don't, I don't have an issue with it. 
I thought that Matt Fink was terrific in his interview. You know, you could tell that it was tough that he didn't win the job, but you could tell that, hey, he's going to be there. He's going to try to be, you know, a leader for the other guys. So I thought more of Matt Fink after his interview, but I didn't think less of Jack Sears because he didn't interview. You had to clarify, I wasn't knocking him for interviewing. I yeah. probably would not have interviewed him. I would have declined too. Um, just so people could write, Chris Trevino declined to talk to media. <laughs> Chris Trevino declined to talk in general. <laughs> See, I would have talked and it oh, probably would have would've not gone been off good. the rails. You would have made Bleacher Report. This is the polar opposite <laughs> of the scale right here, both of you guys. I've got Andrew Voorhees as well. Uh, he's apparently been banged up. We haven't seen him actually participating with the first or second string in the 20 minutes that we've been able to watch uh, this, this week. So the fact that he's not in there tells me that he's not going to be the starter. Uh, if you're not healthy, that's going to be hard to do. And maybe Clay Hilton will talk a little bit about him on Thursday about it in his interview. But as of right now, Andrew Voorhees has not been in there, so I don't see him starting. And therefore, you'll see Drew Richmond at right tackle and Jalen McKenzie at right guard more than likely. Also known as the lineup of death. Yeah, I didn't really get that. I don't, I don't see that as a lineup of death. I think I think it's the best lineup they have. A.K.A. the lineup of death. I don't, I don't know about that. See, I think Voorhees... Looked a lot better in the spring and looked good at times in the fall. Uh, you're making faces over there, Keeley, but I disagree. Uh, I think the the injury, the back injury, back injuries are really tough for any position, especially offensive line where you're supposed to get under people and push, which uses leverage of your lower back. So I think that really affected him. And people were really harsh on his, his play last year. He wasn't good last year, but I think it was because of the back injury. So if he's healthy, I think he can be in there and, and, and play well. Drew Richmond hasn't shown me a lot. True. If I, you yeah. are a grad transfer, you have to come in and say, sorry, this is my job. Get the hell out of here. That's what Stevie Tuukolavatu did. He came in and said, hey, Kenny Bigelow, sorry, this is my job. Hey, whoever else was here, Malik Dorton, you thought you were playing? No, this is my job. Drew Richmond hasn't really done that. He hasn't been impressive like that. He hasn't been dominant, and that's what I kind of expected when you get an SEC offensive lineman transfer. He's going to be strong. He's going to be a bull type of guy. He's going to come in, and he's going to show some of the young bucks at USC the ropes. And I don't know that he's necessarily been been the case. I don't think he's necessarily like on that second group offensive lineman who I think are way lower than the, the uh, uh, starting group, but – he just hasn't been dominant. I think he's been right on par, so I think that you can make the argument for him or for uh, Andrew Voorhees or even Jalen McKenzie. Any of those three guys, I think you can make the argument over which two should be in there. But as a fifth-year senior, as a grad transfer, I think or a fourth or fifth-year senior, I think he's a guy that should be dominant, and he hasn't, he hasn't shown that. Look, I've written about Drew Richmond for like what feels like seven months already and I agree with you that he didn't meet the expectations that you or I had coming in to uh, fall camp but I will just say I'm holding judgment on all of that until we get into a real game until we can see them Good point. go up against some other people besides the guys we already know I just want to see them in a live atmosphere I want to see them in a live game and then I will hold judgment for Richmond or Voorhees or whoever is in the first group yeah because I was going to say that my hold judgment on Voorhees is just based on what we saw from a aerial view it's hard it's hard for me to really fully get a grasp when you are seeing from the media pen so I just from based on what we saw from Andrew Voorhees in 2018 I thought he was the weakest link of the group but we don't really know from Drew Richmond. We don't know if Voorhees has progressed. So that's why I based it on that. But I'll tip my cap to Voorhees. He looked good in spring. He was one of the top in my one-on-one 
data results or whatever, he looks much better than he had in those previous campuses that I've tracked him. But again, I'm not going to make a judgment on him until I see him go up against somebody with, you know, Drebno's coaching. Yeah, I, I'm really curious about rotation-wise what happens, just because I just was never in agreement with Neil Calloway's philosophy of these are five guys and no matter what happens those are the the starters so i'm just curious how he does that but when talking to tim drevno he insisted it was just cross training and not a rotation at all so we shall see i just thought of a stock down oh go for it left tackle bernard Shermer. yep i had i don't know what my expectations were for him when he came in i mean but he had when you look at him he's got a good frame Looks like he's athletic enough to to man a tackle position, but time and time again, we just he just seems to disappear. He's still there, but Frank Martin has jumped him for that second team left tackle spot with Richmond playing a little bit, experimenting a little bit more on the right side. So, and that also happened in the scrimmage. I thought we'd see more of him there, um, but he's just like fell off the bottom of the depth chart and just I don't know. I just had better hopes for him to be in you know at least the rotation. Yeah, I thought he was a guy that could could push in and maybe move up into that first group and and be a backup that they could trust. But it, like you said, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen him being a guy that that they've thrown in there and moved around or anything like that. No, it's, he's just got kind of been. All right, when we get to threes, maybe we'll see some Shermer. Oh well, uh, someone had a, a false start penalty. They've got to run off. So then we see Shermer with the second group. That's usually been it. I have one final stock down, and it's for Solomon Tuialapupu. He had a second surgery. A steel plate put in his foot. Clay Helton described it as an investment into his future, his career, longevity, etc. But he will be eligible for a sixth season. But that's something that has just, on this podcast we've talked about, it just keeps continuing. The saga of Solo and his foot. Listen, list fracks are tough. Those are a tough injury, injury. And, you know, people I've talked to around him say, you know, that's what they told him going into the surgery when he first got it like two years ago. That that's a tough injury to come back from. The blood flow down there with that with that break is just tough to recover from. And NFL players have trouble with that. It usually takes longer than a year. Sometimes you got to go back in for a second surgery, so that's not uncommon. You know, they had hoped back several months ago, they they were talking about doing another surgery, and they hoped it would not come to that. But obviously, we're past that point. He gave it a go in that spring with that one, that one spring practice. And, you know, he said it felt like he was playing with one leg. Wow. So there was just you know, a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, and he, he can't be a linebacker on one leg. I know he would have probably tried to go through it, but just from a, you know, a future standpoint, you got to sit that kid down and, you know, you got to go do what's best. And for him, them right now is another surgery. In that sense, what does this recovery look like after a second surgery? I mean, you got to be off your foot for, I mean, I don't know how, ex- I mean, I assume it's going to be another like six months because when he got the surgery back in November of 2017, or his senior year, that was like a six-month thing. He had to stay off the foot for like a couple months, I think three three months or something like that. He had to be in a boot, couldn't put any weight on it. So I assume we'll see something similar to that. I don't really know how that changes when you go in and put a steel plate in. Um, but I assume it's going to be something where he has to stay off the foot before he can even start running and doing stuff off, you know, putting pressure on it. But the good news is he'll have that. He's eligible for that sixth year. Um, so he'll have four years to play uh, when he does get back. If need be. You know, if he comes yeah. out and has a monster year, USC could see him for one season next year. But that's that's the uh, unfortunate thing of injuries. You know, we've seen other guys that have seen their careers sapped, you know, Daniel Bebe by injuries and other stuff off the field with the administration and whatnot. So you hope for guys that they get back on the field. That's all you want to see is guys be able to live up to their potential and you can't do that if you're not healthy. It's Without unfortunate. 
Yep. Alrighty, well, moving on to Heard It on the Sideline. Hopefully you have a better grasp of this segment, Chris. <laughs> think I'm getting it. Okay. Think I'm getting okay, it. Okay, then you go first. What do you got? I got some Chase McGrath, the kicker. You know, people forget about the kicker as a former kicker myself, just throwing it back a hey, little bit to my kicking okay. days. Um, Wait, is that bingo? Oh, my God, it's bingo. <laughs> he doesn't even know because he doesn't listen to this podcast. If you're playing Family Feud Bingo at home, please mark Chris references the glory days of his high school playing <laughs> career. Thank you. Move on. I think people forget that Chase McGrath is coming back from that ACL injury. You know, with all the new stuff going on with the team, I think people have forgotten about, hey, there's this guy coming back that could be our starting kicker. And I got an interview with him. I'll have this story up probably uh, Friday about his recovery and coming back. But he had told me, you know, that the last six months, seven months, the recovery period was one of the toughest things he's ever been through uh, in his life. And he, I think the big takeaway from talking to him, especially looking at a kicker, is that he feels like he's way more mentally tough than he was a year ago. And that's something you want to hear out of your kicker. And especially a guy who's already proven to be pretty mentally tough in that Texas game. Um, He does say the knee feels a little bit different. It still makes a little clicking noise. Um, It's his kicking knee, right? It is the leg that kicks. Yes, it's not his plant foot, which he said is very helpful because the rehab would have been a lot different if he was doing it off the leg where he's planting and twisting and stuff. So he could start kicking earlier than normal just because the leg doesn't have any pressure. You're just kicking. Um, But he said when he came back, the technique felt great. He was worried that it would all be like out of whack when he got back. So he's had a really good head start getting back. And he said the kicking competition is over, but he didn't really give me a hint as to who had won between him or Michael Brown. But just re- but just reading his body language, I kind of felt like Chase McGrath will be the starting kicker uh, come this weekend. So, yeah, yeah. He, he won that one. Makes sense. I've got Isaiah Polamau. Uh, I talked to him just uh, briefly yesterday and talked to him about his, you know, the connection with Talano Hufunga because those guys actually haven't played together previously. Which is weird because you think it would overlap, but it never did. Yeah, because Isaiah Polamau gets hurt in the second game. You know, everyone's basically playing beside Marvell Tell last year and all the other pieces were interchangeable. So Talanoa came in later in part because of Isaiah's injury. You know, I talked to him and he said, I think our chemistry is just ridiculous because we're almost interchangeable. Like they've they've developed a great connection. It's like we talked about earlier with, you know, the the conversations with the DBs as they're coming off the field and stuff. I think those two guys have a chance to to play together and potentially be a special duo back there. You know, I, I think that they just have that connection with each other and they're going to play together for at least two years here uh, and, and maybe even a third year. Uh, so we'll see how they progress in their careers, but playing side by side, it looks like those two guys, they do different things. And I think they mesh really well as far as just what they bring to the table each as a safety. And I'll have a story on Isaiah in the next couple of days uh, on the site. But one of the things I asked him about was that first hit, you know, the first time you hit somebody, he said he was in nine on seven, you know, the run period. And he comes up and he took on an offense alignment in the spring and he's, you know, he hits somebody and he goes, and there was a little bit of, you know, tension. You know, he's like, is it going to be okay? Is my shoulder going to be fine? Because he's had two surgeries now on the shoulder. And after that first hit, he goes, okay, it's fine. He could breathe a little bit. 
And he said with every time he hits somebody and it's the, the injured shoulder, he says he gets a little bit more confident in it. So I think you're going to see him out there flying around. I don't think there's going to be any hesitation or uh, tentativeness from him. He, he sounds like he's healthy and he's, he's strengthened the shoulder. I talked to him previously about you know the work that goes into that type of injury. And, and he said a lot of it is just the stabilization and strengthening of it to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So he's been working hard on it. I hope he, he's out there and able to, to stay healthy this season. Yeah, I would definitely just from this podcast alone have an eye out for the combo of Hufunga and Polamau. Yep. I think we have earmarked that. Uh, my only heard it that I had, I talked to Palaie this week about just his progression from freshman year to sophomore year, and he said the biggest difference is just the playbook. Um, I'm cautious about the whole Clancy Pendergast simplifying the defense thing. I think we've heard it every season or every off season. And so, but talking to EA, he just felt like it was so much easier to play just because he doesn't have to think too much about the playbook. His speed is, is his strength and he can just go out there and be fast rather than hesitating and, and whatnot. So we've heard it from guys on the defense. It's simpler. They're more, they're allowed to play faster. Whether or not we'll see that happen is still TBD to me, but EA sold it pretty well. When I talk to him. Speaking of EA, I have another heard it's from Johnny Nansen, actually. So this is a question that's come up on the podcast before and Tunnel Vision as well. You know, what's the difference between the Mike and Will positions? You know, I basically just asked him directly what that was. You know, because you made the switch with John Houston moving over to Mike, EA playing the Will. And so I asked him, what's the difference? Nothing. It's the same position, he said. And I said, oh, is it just the, the Mike makes the calls? He said, no, they both make calls. Uh, he's like, I know how it is. People think the Mike's making all the calls, but that's not the case. You know, just depending on what the offense is giving them, the Will has to make some checks. The Mike has to make some checks based on their side of the field and the strength of the offense. So there's not that big of a difference. So, you know, the the whole thing with switching those two guys, he didn't think it was a, that big of a deal. He said they're basically still playing the same position. You're just on the other side of, of the strength now. So uh, that was something that, you know, we kind of debated on the show before. So getting a little clarity there, I thought it was interesting what Nansen had to say there. And I also asked EA about that too. And he described it more as just there's the communication role is the only real difference in the sense that he was like, I do make some calls, but I'm mostly funneling what I see to uh, John Houston so he can disperse that information. So he said it's more of a leadership communication role for Houston rather than EA, but that's kind of matches up with what Nansen said. And if they are the same, why did you make the switch? Well, I think if you put John Houston into a role where he has to speak more, I think that helps him. You know, I think it makes him a little bit more aggressive. Just you got to yell out everything so that so you can't be, you know, more of the timid guy like he is just kind of naturally. He's more of a shy guy, you know, when you see him off the field. Uh, you know, so I think that that potentially they're trying to push John Houston into being more aggressive and trying to get him to, to be more vocal out there and be the leader. So if that was the case, if they really, if there really isn't that much difference besides the calls and, and the major, making uh, more calls, then I think it's a good move to make that switch. I can only imagine that also is a big confidence boost when you're out there on the field. If you're the guy, everyone's mm-hmm. looking at you, yep. you're making all the things, and things go right, well, you got some confidence going, you're rolling. Whereas EA is just going to fly around and hit everything regardless. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, makes sense. I think the biggest scoop was that you actually got Nansen in an interview. True. It was, it was, it was a challenge. He's got a secret tunnel out of there. <laughs> Did you interview him in the tunnel? I, it was, it was, uh, was kind of like a Stranger Things season two was in the tunnels. You saw him lifting the manhole, and you were like, Nansen, can I get you for a second? <laughs> yeah. uh, moving on to the piece de resistance of this podcast, I guess. Chris, the reason why we have you on for your spicy takes. No, say the full name. Oh, in the rundown, it's it's Chris's spicy nugget takes. Sponsored by Wendy's? our friendly neighborhood Wendy's. 
Get your right. Well, that you said no. I could do that. No, no. we brought, don't have. They a brought back spicy chicken nuggets, and they are delicious. So it's. But Wendy's, if you're listening, we would love a sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everyone is on the same page, Chris, explain to the masses what you're about to do here. Right. So this will be my third year doing ten bold predictions going into whatever season we're going into. Uh, I'm trying to get back in the good graces because last year I stunk it up. I went one for ten. Wow. See, but. Is that your fault? But to but to my in my defense, no one's I, predictions were correct last year because they went five and seven. And no one picked. Yes, it. I predict based off USC playing well, five and seven season. It's not going to mix well. Makes my sense. first year, I did six of ten, which is that's not pretty bad. good. Not pretty good. good. So sophomore slump. I'm trying to get out of that. Okay, coming back to be a junior All American. Let's go. Right. Let's get it. Already first one. Let's go. Let's give me a spicy one. Drake Jackson will win Pac-12 Defensive Freshman of the Year and get an All-American nod. Ooh. Freshman All-American? Yes, Freshman (laughs) All-American. React? Don't react? So Hold on. Let me just insert this. I feel like this is kind of a a pseudo-agree-disagree portion of the podcast, if you will. It has taken that place, yes. Yes, so let's go with that role. Shotgun, do you agree or disagree? I agree with you. I think he's going to make plays and... Oh, high fives. (laughs) Uh he's just such a unique athlete coming off that edge that I think that he's going to do some things that, you know, have been seen at USC before, but haven't been seen in a few years. So I think he, he makes some plays and if he can create turnovers, which is what the defense didn't do at all last season, then uh, I think that that opens up the opportunity for that because those type, those type awards are based on numbers. You got to have numbers and that's causing fumbles, recovering fumbles. That's a big thing for him. Yeah. For me, it's coming back down to what you just said talent times opportunity we all know he has the talent and i think he's gonna get plenty of opportunity this year if you listen to chad k talk about him it's like listening to harold talk about keaton slovis he loves drake jackson uh so i think he's gonna get a lot of reps he's gonna do some stuff with those with those reps and if you remember j2 fele came in third last year and he didn't he only started like five games or something like that so i think drake will up that number put up better numbers and that's not an easy thing to do because there's some talented freshmen in this league, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau right across over there in Oregon. Cameron Williams has a starting spot in Washington secondary. Michael Wright at Oregon as well. Yeah, and the redshirt freshmen are eligible for this, so there's a whole pool you can pick from, but I'm going with Drake. Interesting. I would have to agree. You agree? I agree. All right, we're done, right? <laughs> I just got to get one. Okay, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Let's let's get one. Palaie Niote. Did I say that right? No. Nope. <laughs> Palaie Niote. That was my voice. Leads the team in tackles, and it is at least 100. Ooh. That is a good... There's a new opening for tackle leader, just because Cam Smith is gone. I'm going to disagree. Okay. Ooh. It's your your funeral. I just think that that they're going to stop runs in that front seven, which he'll get tackles there. But that's going to... Teams are going to try to pass against that young secondary, and the the DBs are going to end up with more tackles than normally. So, therefore, the linebacker does not... And I don't think that – I think the split between him and Houston will be closer than the split between Cam Smith and Houston. So you think the leading tackler – He could be the leading tackler. I don't think he gets to 100. Yeah. I'm just disagreeing with the statement as a whole because sure. he's not going to get to the 100 tackles. I don't know if he'll be the leading tackler or not. Uh, yeah, I think he'll be the leading tackler. I don't think he'll get over 100 tackles. Okay, that's fine. You both will be wrong. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you sound so sad about it. I'm not sad. Okay. I'm defensive. Oh, yeah, that, that too. Like a linebacker. Oh. This is going to get 100 tackles. Boo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next one. <laughs> Amon Ross St. Brown leads the Pac-12 in receptions. 
And he will have the most since Nelson Aguilar's 104 in 2014. Now, this is an interesting question in general, just because their raid supposedly is supposed to spread the ball around to many receivers. So what does the leading receptions look like in an air raid offense? I agree with you what you're saying, but I also know JT Daniels and Amon Ra is a recipe that when you put them together, you make peanut butter. That doesn't make any sense. But... (laughs) You put them together, good things will happen. What so the I think. What did you just say? <laughs> put it on a T-shirt, print it up, sell it at the next game. Amara, JT Daniels, combination that works. So I think we're going to see a lot of targets. Like bread and butter. That's PBJ. what I just said. That's what I said. And no, but okay. The thing is, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think through the rest of the conference to see if there's anybody that I think would. Lavisca. Oh, I see. Do yeah. Your voice. Yeah. Do the voice. I think that that's going to get it. Do the voice. I don't do things on command, Chris. <laughs> I, I think that Colorado's uh, quarterback-wide receiver combination will out outdo USC. So, Because it's a one-man show there to an extent, too. Yeah, that's a good point. And Montez is an experienced quarterback, so I, I think that that's a good combination there. J.T. Daniels is an experienced quarterback. 11 games. And Colorado's not an air raid system where you're spreading the ball around because then I might look to Washington State, but they don't have a true number one wide receiver that they throw the ball to all the time either. Yeah, I would have to agree with Mr. Gunn here. And just to go back, Cam Smith only had 81 tackles last year. But he was hurt. Two games. Yeah, so... He would have to get 19 tackles those games. He averaged 8.1. I can see that. But he averaged 8.1, so if he gets his average, he finishes at 90-something. And they didn't go to a bowl game. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. But but again, I'm going back to the split between him and John Houston. Okay, that's fine. Moving on to point number four. Okay. Spassy. Talanoa Hufunga will be your first team all Pac-12 safety. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with that one. I agree with that. I think Talanoa is, I don't know. It's just because, obviously, he was missed the last part of the season because of that broken collarbone. I don't think he's getting enough media love. I think it's just because in this USC bubble, we all know how good he is. And outside of that, I don't think a lot of people know about him. I mean, he got Pac-12 media honorable mention, which is nothing to scoff at, but I think it was a little under what he deserved. Um, I know he hasn't done that much, but I, I, I believe in his talent. And it looks like you want to say something. Now, one thing I'll point out is that the Pac-12 has just DBs. They don't list him as corner or safety, which makes it a little bit tougher for him, I think, because he's got to get interceptions. That's you know All those awards are based on numbers to an extent, and he's got to get some, some numbers there because you're looking at it, Jalen Johnson, Julian Blackman, Miles Bryant, and Paulson Adebo are the, the four that were the preseason guys. So he's going to have to get some interceptions in there. You look at the second team, it's Cameron Bynum from California, Ashton Davis. You know Those are both veteran guys, Thomas Graham, at, at Oregon and Darnay Holmes, I think that's all four cornerbacks. I, don't, I can't remember if Ashton Davis is a corner or a safety, but you know there's a lot of cornerbacks because those guys are the guys you see more. You know you got to get the tackle numbers, but you also have to get some interceptions to to bump up those ranks. I think he can do all those things. You can, but I don't think he's well. Yeah, you said he would. Yeah, I think you already that. you already agreed, so it's locked in. The thing about Talanoa that I'll say is Debating that when you ta- in my head. When you talk to former players and, and some coaches, they are really high on, on Talanoa. Like, they just see that he can be the next thing. I mean, Taylor Mays was super high on him, and he was, like, talking to him. His football knowledge is just out there. Like, he wants to be the best, and he wants it. And that's something you want from a guy like Talanoa. So, 
I think he's underrated. I don't think that will happen. Sorry. Be on the wrong side of history. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Wow. It's fine. Me and Shotgun will be here drinking. You like martinis? Yeah, not really. It's going to be tough, though, just with the DB thing. Yeah, that's why I said no. But we'll see. Now, final one, Chris. What do you have for us? Ben Griffiths, Griffiths yes. is a finalist for the Ray Guy and will score one touchdown this year. At least one. Ooh. You um, always you make it. This is the spiciness. You had to add something into it that makes me hesitate. I'm disagreeing. I'm going to say yes just for the heck of it. Uh, the, He's going <sighs> to score one touchdown or at facilitate? Least so yes, it it counts if he's not the one physically scoring. I mean, if you th- if he's throwing it, sure, yeah, that counts, right? He's a big dude. He's gonna run somebody over. True. <laughs> Don't count out his past professional experience as well. That's all. I'm yeah, I mean, that's a big reason why I'm picking this. So then I'm gonna say he's yes. huge, but I don't think he's gonna do it in his first year. Do what? Be named to the right Ray guy finalist. I mean, I'm going back to a stat you pulled that the last. Five winners before last year were all guys that come out of that academy he went to. In Australia, yes. And they were all Australian rules football players. So the guy from Texas A&M is returning, I believe, so he would probably be the favorite. But I think Baxter is going to want to show this guy off a little bit. Oh, yeah. I think he wants to pound his chest and be like, look at my, <laughs> look at my Aussie. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Ben Griffiths wants some more. I don't think he's going to be a finalist. Okay. Could be. You don't think oh. he's going to be a finalist? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's got a leg. It's a bowman. Wow. I'm not going to give him a res- finalist as a freshman. respect on his name. He's a not red, a freshman. A red he's shirt. 28. <laughs> 27, but... No, he's 28. Oh, he is? Yeah, that's what Baxter Still said. a freshman. That mustache should get finalists on its own. No, it's Justin Dietrich's mustache should get finalists. That's true. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your bold predictions. If you want to check out more of Chris's spicy takes, go on uscfootball.com. He's going to post them. Thank you for the world exclusive. You know at Family Feud, we love world ex- exclusives. <laughs> Moving on to questions, Scourge77 sent us a tweet that says, what score do you think will come from this game? Offensive stats and defensive stats, will they rack up? This is kind of uh, a preview. I mean, there's going to be stats that rack up. The question will be which team racks up those stats. You know, are you asking if USC's stats will rack up? I think they will. You know, I think USC is going to win this one and win it pretty handily. Now, that has not been their track record in opening games under Clay Helton, but I, I think they'll win this by 21 points or more. Uh, I, I think that just Fresno State's got a lot of holes to fill from last season. They lost a lot of pieces off that team that had double-digit wins. You know, Jeff Tedford does a really good job, and he's done a really good job there turning around that program, but... I think that USC's talent wins out in this, and I think the receiver group that USC has is going to, you know, rack up some yardage. Maybe a couple of hundred yard receivers. I wouldn't be surprised by that. You know, I think USC wins pretty handily, and, and you know they put some put some points and some stats up on the board. I'm sticking with my original score prediction I made earlier in the week, 48-17. I'm not going to give away too many offensive defensive stats because a lot of those will be in my prediction column for Saturday. So, but I think. The defensive line will have a nice little day getting some plays behind the, the line of scrimmage. Uh, that Fresno State offensive line is breaking in three new starters. So I think that veteran D-line can make some plays on Saturday. And uh, a new quarterback, so you can put, yeah. get pressure in him against that offensive line. You're going to you know put that quarterback in a bind. And I think that USC will be able to create some turnovers? <gasps> Question mark? <laughs> we didn't play in that, Chris. It was beautiful. Thank you. It's beautiful. Yeah, I think USC will win this one. I think. Boo. What? Give us a score. I was about to before oh. you interrupted Jeez. me. <laughs> she's like, always, guest, she's always like, I don't want to pick. 
Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's I, my horrible Kiwi voice. Thank you. Uh, I would say 35 to 14, maybe 17 in that range. I think it will be closer than people think, but I don't think it will be like some. I've seen people predict like 50 or 45, but like I, I think. Or 48. True. Hey. <laughs> yeah, true. Sorry. People. People uh, these days. No, I was just thinking about tweets, but. I think it might be closer than people expect, but I don't think that's necessarily an, an indictment on USC, rather when we've seen it with UNLV or Western Michigan. So I think it'll be a win. I'm just curious. I just, I'm ready to see how this team plays. That's really all it comes down to for me. Tony Brown sent us a tweet saying, given the recent QB depth chart decision, it is clear that running ability is not necessarily an attribute that Graham is concerned with. Does it affect the recruitment of Bryce Young? Does a true freshman being named QB2 affect his commitment at all? This, this question kind of makes it sound like running ability is not, like, a thing for this offense. I That's definitely a part of it. But also, you don't want a guy who's – you want a guy who's going to see the field, make decisions, and throw first. You don't want a guy who's going to take off when the first bad thing happens. Um, I think Jack did a lot of that. He would – his first instinct would be just – Particularly early in that Arizona State game, he – took out off out of the pocket way earlier than he probably should have right and maybe that's just him getting comfortable you know that's what yeah. he's, he's used to so I, I think graham wants someone who's going to be a definite pass first kind of guy and then going to the the bryce young thing i think it makes you look at him go hmm. but again bryce young's super talented and you know you can listen to harold's comments about keaton and you can tell that he really likes him but he also really likes bryce young i mean they got close over this this Recruiting offseason, he was up there a lot watching film with him. They're close. He, uh, Harold wants him, so I don't. I think it will make him look at it for a second, but I don't think it necessarily scare him away. And Bryce Young is not a run first quarterback. He is anything but. He is electric when he when things break down. He's got that Sam Darnold type of playmaking ability, but he wants to sit in the pocket. He moves in the pocket really well. And give JT Daniels credit. That is something he worked on the offseason. He talked about it a little bit last week. But it was something I noticed in the fall showcase, too. And I, I kind of pointed out in a couple of tweets that he was doing a really good job of his pocket awareness and moving. You know, the, the Tom Brady, you don't have to be super mobile. But if you know how to adjust in the pocket to keep you stay, stay on balance and be able to make the throws, that's something that's, that's hard for quarterbacks to learn. It's a difficult skill to learn because you're trying to feel pressure without looking at what is coming to at you. Um, so... So I think that JT's improved on that, and I think that's something Bryce Young does, and is probably pretty special at it, is the way I would describe it. That's what's different about Bryce Young. He knows how to move around the pocket. So he's not going to take off running immediately, but he can. And when he does, you know, he can make some unique things happen. You just you worry about him. He's kind of the he's got the the Michael Vick trait where if he does take off running, you're like, oh, this is gonna be great. But oh no, oh no, I'm worried that you know if he gets hit because he's he's got that slider build uh, that he may get injured. So you kind of worry about that, and you don't want him to run necessarily. So I don't think Bryce has to, and I think that that's one of the things that attracts USC's coaching staff to him is the fact that he can run, but he doesn't have to. Moving on to our next question, it kind of, we kind of already touched on this, but VBosch55 says, is the offensive line going to be any better this year? They better be if USC wants to have any success. It starts up front, and that's what Graham Harrell said. All great teams have a great O-line. I think their technique will be better. Again, I'm yeah. not holding – I got I to gotta watch the game first, but I think they'll be better. So you look at the air raid offense and you look at like you're like, oh, Oklahoma, look how good they can be when you have these skill type of athletes. 
But look at the offensive lines that Oklahoma has had. Look at how many offensive linemen they produced the last four or five years, putting out offensive linemen in the first round year after year after year, it seems like. That's what USC has to get to if they want to be that college football playoff contender with an air raid offense. You know, you don't have, you know, Alabama continues to, you know, they have some air raid philosophies, some spread philosophies now, but they have the guys up front. USC has to get back to that. You know, they, they've got to pr- produce better, but they've also got to coach them up better and get, you know, see some development from those players. You haven't seen a ton of development. You see guys get bigger and stronger, and those help. But their technique and stuff just it doesn't seem like it's been, you know, consistently getting better year over year the last few years. In theory, the O line should be better, especially just because you have a different center now. But I think for me it's T B D. Getting the snaps there is is critical with the offensive line. That's the very first thing that the offensive line has to take care of. And I think that you'll have the consistency with Tim Drevno this year from the offseason and going forward. And again, the strength and conditioning program seems like the guys are stronger and stuff. So uh, I think that there's a lot of things that would point you to say they'll be better, but then the results we've seen in the fall showcase and stuff don't necessarily sell that. So that's a, that's probably the thing that I'll be watching the most them. And then I'll watch the secondary rotations. Those will be the first two things I look at this, this game. Yeah. Now we don't have a question of the week or MVP question on this show, but if we did, we would give it to uh, Chris, not you, Chris, but Chris who tweeted us and said, if you were filming USC for a hard knock slash last chance you season, which three to four players and two coaches would you focus on and why any off the field storylines that you would explore? Love this question. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, it's a really good question. I'd start with Austin Jackson, obviously. I think that's the simplest and easiest one. There's no one's going to doubt that one. It's a great story to watch. Plus, you want to see his sister. And his sister has been doing well. He told me that she was able to come back from the hospital a month early, which is you know terrific news. So, obviously, Austin Jackson there. And the fact that he's a guy that has NFL potential. He could be a guy that leaves early if he had a monster year this season. So, there's a lot of stuff in, in there to look at. So, I'm going to start with Austin Jackson. What you got, Chris? I would go with uh, John Jackson the third. Another Ooh, really good story. Uh, yeah. Another I think, family. You know, obviously, that with his dad coming off that stroke and just that moment when he came out to practice a couple weeks ago, just touching. And that would have been a great story to, to watch. And his dad's going to watch him come out the tunnel for the first time this weekend. So uh, all, all good stuff there. And yeah. there actually will be a story on the Pac-12 network about mm-hmm. that. You know, uh, a friend of the program, Robbie Colans. Former is, USC player. Yes, uh, is working on that show as well. So uh, that will eventually be on the Pac-12 network there. An obvious coach to follow would be Graham Harrell. I think mm-hmm. seeing how he does things, how he adjusts to USC lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera, the move to from Texas to California. I think that would just be really interesting to see the behind the scenes of all of that. The switch of energy drinks, you know, the the yeah. wrestling, the wrestling uh, love that he has, you know, naming his son, uh, giving him the Triple H, H. Uh, you know, and anytime you have a small kid, you can always throw that in there. You True, know, the, those, cuteness. Yeah, the cuteness, the cuteness always factor. sells. Yeah. So yeah, I think definitely Graham Harrell's in there, I, and. Speaking of Graham Harrell, I think you've got to look at the quarterback competition and everything that goes along with that. Uh, you know, and now Jack Sears transferring. What is he still doing? You know, if he's willing to, that'd be a good follow as well. You know, what is why is he taking the time away? What is he doing with his time now that he has this free time? Those are all things that would be interesting that I would want to watch. Uh, so I would definitely the QB room. You're always looking at the quarterbacks in any of those shows, anyways. I don't think I've. Have you ever watched any of those shows and they're not been the quarterback featured? I watch all those shows and I. I mean, I one of one of the shows is even called QB One, yes. which is all about quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. 
I would say only oh only on Coach Snoop did they not feature the quarterback because they're like six. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Twelve. Uh, Brew McCoy. Ooh, interesting. That would be like the Antonio Brown storyline of this hard knock or this. <laughs> I think that's uh, insulting to Brew. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, is he going to play that yeah. kind of like? Okay. What's going on with Brew McCoy? And from our experiences with Brew McCoy, he's. He's such a good speaker, and can, he'd be amazing on yeah. yeah on a TV setting. Is Gavin eligible? I don't know, but he would definitely be one. He's <laughs> a character I, in himself, and, and he has so much pull. If I have to pick a coach, coach, I think Burns would be fun with that young secondary. True. He always says fun things on the on the practice field when he's yelling at people. So. And you also get Chris Hawkins then. Yeah. Just just kind of being in that secondary, you know, in that DB room, I think is another one. Would Aaron Osmus count? I feel like if oh. you followed him in the offseason, that would be really interesting. Uh, another one would be Ben Griffiths. How is he adjusting to America? Yes. You know, Get the is... accent on TV. Exactly. And you know, what does he do with his free time as a 27-year-old compared to yes. 27, 28-year-old compared to the rest of the team? You know, The rest of the team are playing video games. Is, is that something he's even interested in? You know, Drake Jackson. Yeah, backflip. Yeah. <sighs> That's true. Get a slow-mo of that. A Dory Jackson, just because you know, we, we can get a Dory in the show. is great. Bring him back. <laughs> Any final thoughts? Should we move to our... I think that's it. Mike tweeted us saying, what's the story behind the profile photo on the field at Redlands? Uh, Mike says he's Redlands alumni of 09. He says our team was the first ever to play on that field. Now, for those who don't know, Chris, is his avi on Twitter is him sitting on a field. Yeah, go check it out. Also, follow me. Hey. And Chris and Trevina got the blue check. Hey, hey, hey. We don't have a blue check. We rub just it have, in. Um, we just have more followers than you. Hey. Just very. Just very. <laughs> he's sad. Oh, he's leaving now. <laughs> Before I was hired, this is my fourth year at 247. Before I was at 247, I was the sports editor at the Redlands Daily Facts. Uh, I was the sports reporter, sports editor, sports photographer, sports blogger. I did everything. Baby. The one man band. One man band, and obviously Redlands was one of the beats, and that was on deadline, like a nine forty five deadline, with a game that ended like nine thirty five. Got a quote at center field. Didn't have time to go to my car, so I was like, "Screw it, gonna right here on the field." Shout out to my photographer Micah who caught that moment, and me in pure deadline despair, searching for something out of the. Wow. Always got to have that hot spot ready. Always, well always got to have the hot spot. What's the story behind your Abby? I don't even know. Oh, I, first of all, I need to change it so badly. I've had it for the last six or seven years. It's one of my roommates is a photographer, was a photographer. It's sophomore year of college. And she was like, hey, I just want to take pictures. So it's literally me and my best friend. I cut her off in that photo. <laughs> and it's me like, hey, in my Abby. Yeah, it's horrible. I need to change it. What about you? You're in cornfields. Is yeah, mine's, the dreams? mine's like 12 years old. I think I've had it for at least nine years then. I think it was 2010 when I went to I went to the Field of Dreams in Iowa. And so, yeah, I have cornfield behind me. I'm coming out of the cornfield. Nice. You look so like you're inspired. You're looking up for glory. Field of Dreams is really cool. I'm, I'm really excited about the MLB game being played there next year. It should be fun. Nice. PC fan is a little snarky with his first question. He says, has Chris ever spoken on a podcast or any broadcast? This is my third podcast. I did a Peristyle podcast with Ryan Trainwreck. <laughs> I did a emergency podcast in Utah yeah. with you, mm-hmm. me, and Ryan on a couch staring yeah. at a TV and a... a Airbnb. Yeah. Surreal. In our pajamas. At like two in the morning. (laughs) Yep. That pizza was good though. It was. Anyway, and then this is my third podcast appearance. I've done a couple live show broadcasts. You have. It's like pulling teeth. 
but I have been on them. Chris has spoken, just no one's actually heard what he said. And to give credit to Chris, <laughs> once you actually get to know him, he's actually like loud and boisterous and fun. But, you know, you just got to work him in. He's a terrapin. You got to break the outside shell. No, then he'll die. <laughs> <laughs> Turtle soup. No. <laughs> Uh, PC fan also says, what are the most significant open questions regarding the depth chart? Now, this is an interesting question just because we are f- recording this on a Thursday. Depending on when we get this out, the depth chart may or may not be released. But what open questions do we have? Nickelback, we got to see that that's confirmed that the great Johnson is going to be there like we're kind of expecting. Um, the other two cornerback spots, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, those are the, probably the, the most competed for positions have been in that secondary uh, I think most of everything else is pretty set. You're going to have 12 starters on defense. You're going to have a nickel back. You're going to have four down linemen. Uh, 12 starters listed on the depth chart is what I'm saying. If they start the, f- the season with 12 players on the field, that won't be good. Good sign for USC. But, yeah, you're going to have it on the depth chart. So it's not like there's going to be a big con- – you know, you're not going to go, well – there may even be thirteen. You know, you're not gonna be like, well, they got four down linemen. And they only, you know, they don't have an outside linebacker or something. You'll, you'll probably get both of those. So you'll have starters, quote unquote, at those positions, even though that may not be the starters to begin the game. How many ors? Ooh, that's a good question. Over under f- four ors. I mean, the biggest question was obviously the quarterback spot, and it. Clay came out and just straight up and said, "This is going to be the order." You know, I expected, okay, JT will win the job. How many oars are there? Are there one or are there two? You know, is it JT Daniels, Matt Fink, or Jack Sears, yeah. and then Keaton's somewhere else? Or was it all three of those guys bunched together? But he came out and just straight up said, all right, JT, Keaton, Matt, Jack, and went with it. So that one was, you know, kind of surprising to get that clarity, you know, when we did, even then. I thought maybe he might even just say, okay, JT Daniels is a starter. Yeah, I thought so We're not too. naming a backup yet. You can check the – the depth chart so they've gone away from the veil of secrecy a bit in that one yeah i thought that was interesting a different change that we've seen a random thing that i'm curious about is who's the starting tight end i feel like eric chromatuck has kind of made the jump for the starter not sure not that it fully matters because they're gonna rotate but i would just a curiosity thing running backs kind of a question mark there i think that's another or position um I think Vi will be listed as a starter. Yeah. Maybe that's an or with Stephen Carr. I don't know. That one's kind of an interesting one, too. But, again, same thing as you said with the tight ends. It's not like there's not going to be rotation there. Yep. We have a question from Anonymous who says, Why is Chris so obsessed with Maryland? It's not even that great of a place. You just made that up to hurt me. <laughs> no, it came in late. Wait, really? No. <laughs> oh. Well, Keely, to start things off, you have to know the history of Maryland. Founded in the 1800s. Like general, okay. No one ever wants to listen to my Maryland speech. Maryland wasn't even founded in the 1800s, was it? It's a bit shotgun. <laughs> Respect the bit. History is important. You have to be correct. Is that a real question? I don't understand. Just answer the question. Yes, I went to Maryland. I was born in Laurel, Maryland. PG County, baby. PG County boys all day. <laughs> PG County a, Beach boys. Let's go. Is this a mixtape you're starting? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like the beginning of a mixtape. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> PG County Beach Boys. Check us out. Interesting. Okay. Great. Moving on to our final <laughs> question. Great. <laughs> Always great tone there. Moving on to our final question. It's from Guile Smiles, who uh, sent us an email, and the subject line was, Hut Hut, 
which is an homage to, and I knew this was going to happen because Shotgun doesn't actually listen to our podcast. He doesn't know what the intro sounds like. I've so listened I'm off to the it hook. at least once. Thank you. <laughs> I know what the intro sounds like. I said before that it sounded good. Thank you. He says, hi, guys. Love your show. And I look forward to it eagerly each week. Thanks, Gal Smiles. Uh, he says, I have to ask, is that Shotgun who calls out Hut Hut in the very opening soundbite of the show each week? If not, it sure sounds like him. It is not Shotgun. It's not me. I didn't do it. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the Family Feud Podcast. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure to be here. I know I'll never be invited again. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> Love you too, Shaka. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll have some good stock up, stock down after having a game to watch and analyze. Oh, hell yeah. I'm excited. Shotgun's excited. Uh, but that's Chris. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely, and we'll see y'all next week. Peace.